welcome to Lakeshore. If you're at our Smyrna campus, we welcome you. So glad you're joining us today. If you're joining us online, whether it's live or you're listening to it later on or our podcast, we're glad you connected with us that way as well. We are in a series called By Faith, and we've been looking at the life of Abraham and different uh, situations we have recorded in the book of Genesis of the progression of his faith and how at times he exercised great faith and at times his faith would slip and he would uh, get off track, but how God would show grace and mercy and uh, allow him to be forgiven and move forward in serving him. And again, it's an encouragement to me to see how even the great person Abraham still battled with and struggled with holding on to his faith consistently, walking by that faith consistently. It doesn't excuse any time that we, we don't walk by faith. It just helps us remember that that we are, even the greatest men and women of faith still had to be vigilant in this to stay strong and walk consistently by faith. And today we're looking at uh, an example from his life of a prayer of faith. Before we get to that, I want to go back at the beginning of this series. We looked at a passage in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. It says this, And without faith it is impossible to please God, Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and here's another part you must believe, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. See, part of faith is not only believing that God exists, but believing something about God, something about the character of God, that as a father, nothing brings him greater pleasure than to be able to give to his children good things things that they need, things that they desire, things that are good for them. Now, he always is a good father. He only wants to give that which is really good for us, but he takes great joy in providing for his children. And and if we believe that about God, then it it would certainly give us incentive to pray to that Father, to to know that He wants us to do that. He wants to hear from us. He wants to to know our heart, what's in our hearts, and, and prayer is the way we do that. And when we go to him in prayer, then we have to believe not only that he does exist, that he does hear the prayer, but that his desire is to answer that prayer for us in a way that's best for us. Now, in Philippians 4, we have a passage on prayer that that is one that is probably one of the most familiar ones if you're in church a lot. And I want to go back to it, too, and look at it in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. It says this about prayer. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Then he's going to tell us why we should do that. Here's what he says. If we do that, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How many of you here would like to have peace in your heart and your mind? Don't we all desire that? He says, well, prayer is going to be the key. Prayers of faith, that's going to be the key to experiencing peace in your life. You've got to believe that God exists, that he rewards those who seek him earnestly, sincerely. And then when you go to him in prayer, what happens is, knowing what kind of God he is, it gives you peace. Once you've shared those things with him, once you've talked to him about those things, then he gives you peace in your heart and in your mind. So we're looking at today, the theme is this, prayer is the natural expression of faith. Prayer is the natural expression of our faith. 
If you really have faith in God, then you will naturally want to go to him in prayer. It will just be by instinct that that's what you do because you know who God is and you know what God is like. So today, as we look at this example from the life of Abraham, we're going to see that that there are some keys to having your prayers be effective. Uh, I, I believe that there are certain things that make prayer more effective, more powerful, that are revealed to us in Scripture. And in the example we're looking at in Abraham, there are some key things that are revealed to us that will make prayer more effective in our lives. The first one is this. Effective prayer begins with a friendship with God. Begins with having a friendship with God. When we pick up today, you'll be turning to Genesis 18. We're going to be looking at a lot of scripture today. We'll put them up on the screen too. Or you can pull them up on your smartphone or tablet. Uh, Genesis 18 and 19 are the two chapters that we're looking at today. And in these chapters, we see that when we pick up in, in chapter 18, Abraham has now been walking with God by faith for over 25 years now. Now, there are people here at Lakeshore who have walked with God by faith for 25 years or more. And, and when you have that kind of experience with God over time, then what begins to happen is, is you begin to realize more and more how much you can trust him, how much, how much his word should be trusted in your life. His instruction should be trusted as he, he's telling us these things because he wants what's best for us. So Abraham has had 25 years of walking with God at this point. Now, he, he might have uh, been walking with God before we pick up in Genesis, tw uh, where we picked up in Genesis 12 here. Uh, but this is where God called him to leave where he was and go to that new place. So it's been over 25 years since he had that call from God. And during that time, he's seen God do a lot of magnificent things. And he's experienced answers to prayer, and he's experienced God's grace when he has failed and not been what he should have been as, as a person of God. So all of that experience put together builds that confidence that God is there and that he's faithful to hear and to answer prayer. So at this point for Abraham, God is more than just a casual acquaintance. He's more than just a higher power that's out there. He's more than just some universal force that you throw things out to. He knows God personally, intimately. And I'm convinced that if you want prayer to be effective in your life, if you really want that peace in your heart and in your mind, you've got to get past the casual acquaintance relationship with God to more of an intimate relationship with God. Because the more you know God and the closer you are to God, the more you believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So we need to work on that relationship with God to have effective prayer. Let's pick up in Genesis 18, beginning with verse 1. It says, The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought that you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you've come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. 
So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seeds of the finest flour, knead it, and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. Then he brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set, them, set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Now, I want you to notice some key language here. There's several people that show up outside Abraham's tent. Remember, he's still on this journey that God had called him to take, and he's still living in tents at this point. And uh, he has these visitors that show up outside the entrance of his tent. But they are identified as, one of them is identified as the Lord. Now, a lot of scholars have looked at this and studied this, and they're belief is, and I'm convinced of this too, that the word Lord here is the same word used consistently for God, okay? So I am convinced this is God appearing to him, and this is something that's hard for us to grasp, but I believe this is Jesus, because the term Lord is most often applied to Jesus himself. You see, Jesus did not just begin as that baby in Bethlehem. The scripture is clear that Jesus was there creating all things that have been created. He created those things. So Jesus already existed. In fact, I believe Jesus appeared more than once in the Old Testament. I believe we have several occasions. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Remember them in the fiery furnace? But there was a fourth person in that furnace with them, remember? I believe that was Jesus there with them. He's eternal. He's always been there. He just had not been revealed yet as the Jesus that we know now. In the flesh. So here the Lord appears to Abraham, and Abraham had a, the kind of relationship with God that he welcomed the presence of God. He welcomed that into his life, and, and to the, even physically, that presence of God, the presence of the Lord, was welcome in Abraham's life. Now, the reason I bring that up is that's not honestly true for everybody. Not everybody welcomes God into their presence. He's there. He's available. Remember, he said, seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. He says, behold, I stand at the door. Knock. If you open up and let me in, I'll come and, and sup with you. He says, I want to be with you, but not everybody wants to open the door and let them in. Not everyone welcomes the presence of the Lord. But if you want powerful prayers, if you want to have an effective prayer life, you've got to be on a friendship term, on friendship terms with the Father so that you welcome him into your life. You're not trying to put up barriers. You're not trying to keep space between you and God. It amazes me how many people think that, that if they keep some space between them and God, that God won't know what's going on with their lives. Right? If I don't go to church, he won't know what I did last night. Right? Uh, I hate to spoil it for you, but he was there too. He knows every detail, every intimate detail of our lives. Whether we come to him or not, he's still already there. The question is, if we want effective prayer, uh, we're praying to God. And if we're praying to God, then friendship with God makes that more powerful and more effective. So Abraham had this friendship with God already. So that he welcomed the presence. Some of us, uh, I, I know what it's like uh, 
when I was younger, my family quit going to church. And then when I started going back to church as a young teenager, even as a young teenager, I can remember how awkward I felt when I started going back to church. I felt like it wasn't a comfortable place for me yet when I first went back. Now, I was comfortable with my friends bowling with the youth group. But actually going to a church service was something that I felt uncomfortable with at first. Any of you remember feeling that way? Maybe if you've been out of church for a while or maybe you're just getting into church and you remember feeling uncomfortable trying to get back into church. And one of the reasons is is because you don't feel like yet you are with friends. You feel like God's judging you or God is somehow wanting to punish you and keep you from his blessings somehow he's wanting to zap you because you messed up you know and you don't feel like you're coming to spend time with a friend now the only way to change that is to spend more time with God and get to be friends with God that's the that's the only way to get past that is to begin to spend more time with God get to know him better and when you get to know him better you find out that he loves you even he, he, he knows the details he knows you messed up but he still loves you And he wants to offer you grace and blessings and provide for you. And when you get to know that about God, then you're not so uncomfortable in the presence of God anymore. It becomes a place then that you look forward to being, spending time in the presence of God. Now, now I want to clue you into something here, okay? Just listen to me. Uh, God's presence was out there before you came in here too, okay? He doesn't just dwell in church buildings. He inhabits every nook and cranny of the whole earth. So wherever you are, who's there? God is. So you were in the presence of God before you came to the service. You just didn't acknowledge and recognize that you were in the presence of God. So so we need to get comfortable in the presence of God. We need to welcome the presence of God into our lives if we want to have an effective prayer life. Well, let's look at more of the story here. Beginning in verse 9. These visitors say, where's your wife Sarah? They ask him. They're in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, how long has Abraham been hearing this? 25 years Abraham's been hearing this. The temptation would have been, what I would have been thinking is, yeah, I've heard this one before. All right, we've been, we've been hearing this over and over again for 25 years. Here, here's what happened. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind them, Abraham and Sarah were already very old. Now, at this point, Sarah is 89 years old. Abraham is 99 years old. They've been hearing this for 25 years. When they heard it the first time, they were past childbearing years. Now, they're 25 years further down the road. And they're still being told, before this, when I come back this time next year, your wife Sarah is going to have a son. So it says Abraham and Sarah were already very old. Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, am I worn out and, and my Lord is old? After I'm worn out, my Lord is old. Will I now have this pleasure? Now here's how you know Sarah didn't believe what the Lord said to her. She's 89 years old. If an 89-year-old woman really believed she was going to have a baby, she would be crying, not laughing. (laughs) Am I right? 
Yeah, we know she didn't believe it exactly. She wasn't totally convinced of this. I've been hearing this for 25 years, and I'm now 89 years old, and you're still telling me I'm going to have this baby. Uh, yeah, right. She kind of laughed a little bit. I'm sure she tried to do it under her breath, you know. You know how sometimes you, you get tickled about something, and you try to hold it in, and you can't quite hold it in. I can picture Sarah doing that in the tent there when she heard what the Lord was saying. It says in verse 13, then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? What's the answer? No, of course not. Okay. He said, I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Now, the way this is worded in the original language is by the time I get there next year, she will already have a son by the time I get back next year. So this is going to happen. It takes how many months? Very good. You guys know this stuff. All right. So that means pretty soon here, she's going to be found to be with child in order to have nine months to have this child before the year is up. And this visit occurs again. Now listen to this, verse 15. Sarah was afraid, so she lied. You ever put those two things together in your life? You're afraid, so what do you do? You lie. I, I don't know how many lies have been told out of fear, but a lot of them, right? Most of them, I would say, have been told out of fear. Fear of being rejected, fear of being judged, fear of being uh, found out, uh, fear of being punished. We lie out of fear. And Sarah was human like us, and she was afraid that there might be some kind of punishment because she laughed about what the Lord had said so she lied about having laughed but the angel these visitors uh, it says uh, in the last part of verse 15 but he said the Lord said yes you did laugh the Lord wants her to know uh, I know what you did right you can lie all you want but I still know what you did we have to know that about God. It's not that God is trying to get you to mess up. It's not that God wants you to mess up so he can punish you or expose you. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying here is don't think for a minute you can lie about things, and I don't know the reality. I don't know the truth about those things. You don't hide anything from God. It's impossible. And so Sarah's just being reminded. You can't hide anything from God's knowledge, from God's awareness here. You did laugh, and... He didn't say, I'm going to punish you for that. There was no punishment for it. He just wanted her to know. You don't hide these things from me. I, I know that you laughed. Okay? Now, here's the thing about faith. Abraham and Sarah are told they're going to have a child. They're going to have it within a year now. Uh, they've been hearing that for 25 years now, and still it hadn't happened. But in order for this to happen, uh, they're going to need to act on faith, aren't they? They're going to need to try to have a child. They're going to need to, to, to go through the process of having a child. And, and here's the thing about faith. Sometimes we think, only believe. You hear pastors say that sometimes. Only believe. Believe and you will receive. But guess what you still have to do? Obey. You still have to do what God's telling you to do. You see, it's not just believe. In fact, faith in Scripture is not just believing something. That has never been the way faith is defined in Scripture, not even once. 
Faith is described this way. Look, look at James chapter 2, beginning with verse 20. James is giving this discussion on what it means to have faith. You see, uh, given enough time and opportunity, what can we human beings do? We can mess it up. So even by the time James writes this New Testament letter, the church hasn't even been around very long, and they're already messing up when it comes to faith, understanding what faith is. So James is correcting the misunderstanding about what it means to have faith. Here's what he says. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is, what's that word? Useless. Faith without deeds is what? Useless. Okay. Was not our father, who is this he's talking about? Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. We're going to get to that story a little later on in the series here, okay? Here's what he says. Listen, you see that his faith and his actions were doing what? Working together, and his faith was made complete. That word means whole, getting it to where it was intended to be. His faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's what? Friend. Oh, if you want effective prayer, what kind of relationship do you need to have with God? Friendship. And how do you have friendship with God? You put your faith in action. You obey what God is telling you to do. Because that's scriptural faith. Listen to this. Verse 24. The faith-only people hate this verse. I've never heard them preach a sermon on it. Here's what it says. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by what? Faith alone. Oh, only believe. Is that really what the Scripture says? If you understand what it means to believe, it says that. What it means by believing is having faith that produces the obedience that God calls for. That's what it means to believe, to really believe God is that you trust him enough to do what he's telling you to do the way he wants you to do it, when he wants you to do it. That's what it means to have faith. You see, you can believe information about God without trusting God, without putting your life in the hands of God. A lot of people believe the information without putting trust, real trust, in the Father. But God wants us to have the kind of relationship with him that we understand that as our friend, he wants what's best for us. So when he says, do it this way, we know he's only wanting what's best for us. So what do we do? We do it the way he says to do it. We trust him enough to be obedient to what he's calling us to do. Jesus reiterated this in John 15 and verse 14. He said this about what it means to be his friend. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. You want to be friends with God? Start being obedient to God. Start walking in obedience by faith to what God is instructing you to do. That's real friendship with God. We've got a contemporary Christian song that I really like. It's been around a long time now. I am a friend of God, right? Well, are you? What do friends of God do? They obey God. It's a lot easier to sing about it than it is to practice it, isn't it? He says, you're my friend if you do what I command. So effective prayer begins with what first? What's the first thing? Friendship with God. That's where you start, okay? And Abraham was a friend of God because he obeyed as God gave him instructions. He did what God was telling him to do. 
Well, the second thing we need to know about effective prayer is this. Effective prayer emphasizes intercession for others. Doesn't mean that's the only thing you ever pray about, but that is what is dominant in your prayer life. Intercession for others. Now, if we were to write our prayers out on one column, prayers for me, on the other column, prayers for others, which column do you think most often would have more information in it? Prayers for me, right? I mean, we're a lot more motivated when we're struggling, when we have problems to pray, aren't we? Because it's us. We're, we're feeling the effects right now. So we're more quick to go to God in prayer when it's something for us. But in Scripture, those who had powerful and effective prayers, when you put them in those columns, you know which column would be bigger? Praying for others. Intercessory prayer means you intercede on behalf of someone else. You're praying not just for yourself, but you are praying for them and what's best for them. That becomes more the dominant part of your prayer life. And I think there are a lot of reasons that becomes more effective. And, and I believe one of the greatest reasons is, is because that shows that your heart is being changed from being selfish and inward focused to being more outward focused. You're becoming more like the heart of God, more like the heart of Jesus who considered us worth dying for on the cross, giving himself completely. You see, the more we become like Jesus, the more our focus is not on ourselves, it's on others. And so effective prayer is predominantly intercessory prayer. Let's look in chapter 18 again. Let's pick up with verse 16. When the men got up to leave, they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hearing that for 25 years. Okay. All right. Verse 19. All right. I've chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he's promised him. All right. So he's saying, Abraham, we want you to keep walking in obedience, doing what God calls you to do, because God's going to keep his promises to you. All right. He sets it up that way. But then he said in verse 20, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Now, catch what he's just told Abraham. He's just told Abraham, the, the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah are so great. They, they've come up to me. I'm aware. I've, I've heard about all that's going on there. But here's the thing about the graciousness of the Lord. He says, I, I, I still want to give them every chance. I'm going to go down and see. I'm going to visit Sodom and Gomorrah for myself and see if it is as bad as I think it is. Now, God didn't have to do that to know how bad things were in Sodom and Gomorrah. You have to understand that. He's not saying that's the only way I can know this. God is wanting Abraham to see this example that I'm willing to give them every chance to prove me wrong here, to show me they will live a good life, a righteous life. I, I want to give them every... See, God's not out to destroy people like he takes joy in this. He's not out to judge people and condemn them because I just can't wait. I want to send some people to hell today. That's not the way God exists. The Bible says the Lord's 
not slow in keeping his promise to come back, but he's long-suffering. He's patient with us because he doesn't want anyone to perish. That's not what God wants for anybody. He did not want the people of Sodom and Gomorrah to perish. He did not. He wanted them to be saved. So he's wanting Abraham to know the extent, the extreme to which God would go so that people would not perish. So he says, I'm going to go myself. Isn't that what Jesus did for us when he came in the flesh? He came himself for us, right? Well, he's doing that for Sodom and Gomorrah as well. He's going there himself. But he says to Abraham, we're going to go there to see. And if it is as bad as it is, he says, what's going to happen is, is we're, going to, we're going to destroy them. Their sin is so great. Now, here's what Abraham did in response to that. This is the thing about intercessory prayer. Abraham immediately began to intercede for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. You see, intercessory prayer requires concern for others. It requires that if you know someone who's far from God, instead of saying, well, they deserve God's judgment, they deserve God's punishment, instead of doing that, instead of saying, well, let's write them off, They're, they've made their choice, let's forget about them, instead of doing that, intercessory prayer has a heart for those people that are far from God, so much so that you don't give up on them. You, you continue to pray for them and seek what is best for them. You know what it's like as a parent if you have a child far from God and they've been in rebellion for a long time? If you really love that child, will you ever stop hoping and praying for the best for that child? No. Would you ever want them uh, to give up on them making a turn back to the Father again? No, you never give up on that. Well, that's the way God is with us. That's the way God is with his children. It says in verse 23, Abraham approached him. Now, this is approaching the Lord, okay? Uh, here, here's the thing we got to know about God. Is God, the God of Scripture, approachable? Yes. And, and was Abraham able to go directly to God on behalf of those people? Yes. Did he have to say, wait a minute, I need to call a priest, start a prayer chain? Is that what he said? No, what did he say? He, he, went, he approached him himself. Now, there's nothing wrong with you asking the pastor to pray for you or the church to pray with you about something. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. What I'm saying is, is you need to know that you can go directly to God yourself, too. Okay? You have access to God. You can approach God. It's made possible through Jesus that you could approach God himself through him. Okay? So Abraham was able to approach him. And he said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? So Abraham is, is boldly going to God on behalf of the possibility that he might spare the city of Sodom. Now, the Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, verse 26, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Now, I don't know if Abraham thought a long time before he threw 50 out there, right? I think that may have been the first number that came to him. Well, what if there are 50 righteous people there? Would you destroy the whole city and those 50 people get killed too that are all righteous? But then he gets to thinking, you know, I've heard about Sodom too. Remember, who's, who lived there? His nephew, remember, Lot, has been living in Sodom. Now, do you think he was keeping up with 
what was going on in Sodom? Yeah. He probably knew how bad things were there. So he begins to listen. He begins to sound like an auctioneer in reverse. Listen, okay? Now Abraham spoke up again. Now, now I've been so bold to speak to the Lord, though I'm nothing but dust and ashes. What if the number of righteous is less, is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Now, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? You know, the auctioneer going to. He finally gets down for, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And he stopped there. Abraham knew his nephew was there. He had a wife. He had kids. They had, in, had uh, married children. He thought, surely there'll be ten. I'll be safe with saying ten. And the Lord said, if I even find ten righteous people there, I won't destroy that city. So he prayed all he could, and he turned it over to the Lord. And that's what we have to learn to do, too. We don't get to control God. We can ask God. We can plead with God. And we, uh, God is gracious and he's kind, but you don't get to control God. That's, he's God, right? You don't get to manipulate him, but he is willing to hear our prayers and listen to our heart. And God is moved by the prayers of his people. And so Abraham is just exercising his faith that God is that kind of God as he prays and asks for God to do this. Here's the amazing thing. God has taught us in prayer to intercede for others, but he's doing that for us too. We forget that sometimes, that God has put things in place so that he intercedes on our behalf all the time. We have the Holy Spirit interceding for us. We have Christ himself interceding for us. Listen to Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself does what? intercedes for us through wordless, wordless groans. And then in, uh, uh, he, in another passage, he says, verse, uh, Romans 8, 20, uh, 34, he says, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also doing what? Interceding for us. You see, we have the Holy Spirit. We have Christ interceding for us. Even when we don't know what's right, even when we don't know what to do, even when we don't know how to pray or what to say. You ever been there in your prayers? I, I don't even know what to say. You just kind of groan before God. Can't even get words out. Have you ever been so broken that you couldn't even get the words out? Even when you can't get the words out, you know what God does for you? His Spirit intercedes for you. He knows what's best. He knows what you need. He knows where your heart is. He goes to the Father on your behalf. And here Abraham is doing for the city of Sodom what God does for him. And surely we ought to be willing to do for others what God does for us. He's interceding for us, and we ought to intercede for others. We have instructions in Scripture all, uh, all through uh, Old and New Testament. In James 5, 16, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So if you're walking with God like you need to, honoring God in your life, then when you pray for others, your prayers are powerful and effective prayers, he says. He wants you interceding for other people. 
1 Timothy 2, beginning with verse 1. He says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Which people? What about the ones you don't like? What about the politicians you don't like? Yeah. He says, for kings and for all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Friends, there are a lot of Christians doing anything but praying for the political party leaders that they don't agree with. They're bashing and destroying and condemning those people publicly. What does God say we're supposed to be doing for those people? Praying for them. And I don't care which political party you affiliate with. What are you supposed to be doing? Praying for all those in authority, the Democrats in authority, the Republicans in authority, the Independents in authority. We're supposed to be praying for them. If we spend as much time praying for them as we do bashing them, I think it would make a huge difference in our lives, in the lives of our country, in our world. You see, we're supposed to be interceding on their behalf. God has throughout history always worked through imperfect leaders. Was Abraham a perfect leader? No. Was anyone in the Old Testament that's seen as a great leader of faith perfect? No. Did any of them have their whole act together all the time? No. But what are we supposed to do? Pray for our leaders. And that's what we're supposed to be doing today. And in our country, it starts with the president and it goes all the way down to everyone who has a position of authority. We should be praying for every one of them. Does that mean you have to agree with everything they do and say? No. It does. He's not saying agree with them. He's saying do what for them? Pray for them. And he says you'll be blessed by doing it. And your country will be blessed by doing that. We need to be praying for them. So, he says, because God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, there are four ingredients I want to give you real quick. Four ingredients of Abraham's prayer. Remember, he said it started with 50, and he went down and down. But there were four ingredients. First of all, he was humble, even though he boldly approached God. He did it in a humble way. Listen to one of the terms that he used. He said, even though I'm just dust and ashes, he says to God, I'm still going to pray. I'm still going to ask you to do this. I talked about this before, remember? When you want to know where you came from, you, you do 21 or whatever that is, or you do the, the, the different studies where they swab your mouth and you send it off to find out your ancestry, where you came from. I'll tell you where you came from. You came from dirt, and so did I. You go back far enough, we all came from dirt. God formed the first man from dirt. We all came from dirt. And Abraham, a great man of faith, comes before God boldly, but he says, I come as someone that's only dust and ashes. The scripture says, from dust you came, from dust you're going to return. That's why I don't ever dust. It might be some relative or something. So. <laughs> that's not why, but okay. He was humble in his prayer, but he was also very specific, wasn't he? When he prayed, he came humbly, but he was specific. He said 50 people. And he said, what about 45? Then he said, what about 40? What about 30? What about 20? 10 people, Lord, would you do it for 10? He was very specific, wasn't he? We pray such general prayers most of the time. God, just bless everybody. 
How are you going to know if that prayer is answered? You're never going to know if that prayer is answered. But if you know people that you're praying for specific situations, can you know if those prayers are answered? Yes. So if you get more specific, you can see not only the prayer need, but the answer that God brings to that prayer. He wants us to be specific in our prayers. And he was persistent, wasn't he? He started out at 50. Where did he end up? 10. He never would have gotten down to 10 had he not been what? Persistent in the prayer. We like to be quick and easy in our culture. I took 10 minutes this morning for devotion and prayer. I can check that off my list and move on now. Maybe we need to be a little more persistent than that. He said, pray without ceasing, right? Be praying all the time. He was humble and specific and persistent. He was also very bold in his prayer. And again, I'm convinced that most of us as Christ followers today are not nearly as bold in our prayer life as we need to be. We need to be boldly going before God on behalf of the needs of people around us. But I want to close with this last thing, the third thing about effective prayer, and that is effective prayer produces positive results. It produces positive results. You might say, it doesn't look like it in this story. The city wasn't spared. Look at verse, uh, chapter 19, beginning with verse 1. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them, bowed down his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to the servant's, your servant's house. You can wash your feet, spend the night, then go on your way early in the morning. No, they said, we'll spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called out to Lot, where are the men who came with you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. So here they are, visitors from heaven. The Lord himself is with them. And what do the men of Sodom want to do? Have homosexual relationships, sexual relationships with them. They come and demand it at the house of Lot. Now, Lot wasn't a very righteous person either. He said, well, I've got daughters here that uh, are... Never been with a man, you could have them. And that's very ungodly too. That's not something Lot should have even offered. But they wouldn't hear of it. They tried to break down the door, bust their way in to have homosexual relations with these men that were visiting in town that day. And that's when the decision was made. It says in verse 10, the men reached inside, pulled Lot back in the house, shut the door. They struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness so that they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, you have anyone else here, sons-in-law or sons or daughters or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. Makes me wonder how God has been so patient with our culture. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was what? Joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you'll be swept away when the city is punished. Then he hesitated. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was what? Merciful to them. 
Let's skip on down to verse 27. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain. He saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. He rained down fire and brimstone and completely wiped out the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. The city was destroyed, but Abraham had prayed. And what happened to Lot and his family? They were saved. They were spared. Now, Lot's wife ended up looking back. She was turned into a pillar of salt because she looked back, longing for that place. But the rest of his family was saved. Here's what you need to know. Lot and his daughters were spared not because they were righteous. They were spared because of Abraham's prayers. That's why they were spared. You got a son or a daughter that's away from God? You can pray for God to spare them and give them a chance to come back. You got a husband or a wife far from God. You can pray that God gives them another day to come back home again. You got a coworker or a friend far from God. You can pray. And if you're friends with God, by obeying God, your prayers can be powerful and effective for those people who are yet far from God. So that they could be spared too. Look at verse 29. When God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. He was spared and his family because of Abraham's prayers. I'm convinced that a lot of us are here today because we had a grandma or a grandpa that prayed for us. Or maybe generations before that that prayed for those that were coming behind them. You see, God honors those prayers even long after we're gone. Somebody prayed for you, most likely, and that's one of the reasons you're here today. And you have the opportunity to be spared in spite of our sins. Paul asked the church to pray for him, to intercede on his behalf. In Romans 15 and verse 30, he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Here's the thing we need to remember. Every great movement of God has been preceded by the prayers of his people. If we want God to move in this land, if we want God to, to do powerful and effective things in our world today, it must be preceded by what? Prayer. And yet most people who claim to be Christ followers are not powerful prayers. Is it any wonder we're not seeing great and powerful works of God in our land today when we're not even praying for it? We're not even praying, interceding on behalf of our leaders, of those that are far from God, those that we love and care about and those we don't even know. We're not praying for them earnestly the way God wants us to pray for them. It begins with a friendship with God. That's where it starts. It, it is also the prayer that is for others more than ourselves, and it's also powerful and effective when we're doing right ourselves. So we need, as God's people, to come back before God in repentance and prayer, seeking God on behalf of others. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, we've got a great promise. Listen to this. 
Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Do you know that about God? Do you believe that about God? Do you believe that he is who he says he is, that he can do things beyond what we can even imagine? And do you believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him? Because if you do, we will be praying great and powerful, bold prayers on behalf of others who don't know him yet. Maybe today our prayer life needs to be transformed. We stop focusing so much on give me, give me, give me. And we start praying more for bring others, bring others, bring others. Bless them. Let's pray together. Father, Father, we know that today we all need to be reminded that, that you hear and answer the prayers of your people. People who are friends with you because we are willing to be obedient to you. Not perfect. None of us could be that. But forgiven by the blood of Jesus and still walking in obedience thanks to your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. Father, help us to be bold in our prayers, interceding for others so that we could see you at work answering those prayers in powerful and great ways. Father, we've seen it in the past. We've seen you do great things. We've seen people who were far from you be brought back to you and and now they're glorifying you. We've seen that happen. Father, we pray we see it more and more and more in the days ahead. May we become those prayer warriors that you've called us to be. Because prayers of faith are powerful and effective. In Christ's name we pray today. Amen.